0: Lord, we just prayed, yet not I, but Christ through me. And Father, as as we look at this passage today, we are going to see why we sang that. We're going to see why it is that we would live a life where we would consistently say, yet not I, but Christ through me, because of who your son Jesus is. And so Father, I pray that as we look at the passage today, we would see Jesus clearly. And as we see him, that we would be changed by that. Lord, I pray that the Christians here in this room, the ones who would sing, yet not I but Christ through me, that we would sing that a little bit more clearly and a little bit more boldly and a little bit more completely after we look at this passage. Lord, I pray for those who don't know Jesus, who would not say that yet, that they would see him today and that they would hear his call Lord, would you work through your word today? We thank you so much for it. In Christ's name, amen. So turn, if you would, in your Bibles to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 1 through 6. So John chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. This is one of the (coughs) most, excuse me. This is one of the most beloved passages about who Jesus is. And there's there's something about this passage, there's something about the way that Jesus portrays himself as the shepherd that speaks very powerfully to us. This imagery of a shepherd coming and calling for his sheep, you know, it, it hits on a longing that I believe was instilled in us right from the very beginning. It touches on something that I I think is very deep within the design of every human being. Not just Christians, but I believe Christians, in particular here when it comes to Christ, have found a hope for that longing. Jesus definitely didn't come up with this imagery here in John 10. This imagery is as old as the Bible itself. And I want to show that before we even look at the passage. So after Jacob, you remember, so there's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. So after Jacob was renamed Israel, and then before he died, he was blessing his sons. And he blessed his son Joseph. And here is what Jacob, now named Israel, said in Genesis chapter 48, verse 15. He said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd, All my life long to this day. Jacob understood something about life. That we, as human beings, we were made to be led. And we were made to be led by God. Long before John 10, we were already made to be sheep who were led by a shepherd. And Jacob was not a great sheep. If you know the story of Jacob, Jacob was was a stubborn sheep that that God had to to lead and and God had to to, uh, direct, and he did. If, If Jacob, at the end of his life, could say, I have been led by God, then anybody could. In the book of Numbers, in Numbers 27, verse 16, Moses also understands this exact same need that people have. Listen to this. Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. Now, of course, the the temporary answer to this prayer was Joshua, son of Nun. But Moses strikes on something here. And, And of course, Moses would know, right? What had Moses been doing up until this point? He had been leading these sheep, and it had not been an easy task for him either. He understood something about humanity. Jacob understood it, Moses understood it. We were meant to be led. That's Jacob. That's Moses. Of course, there's another man in the Old Testament who embraces this idea as well. In fact, that man started his career out as a shepherd before moving to king. When we first meet David, he's a young man who is protecting his sheep from dangers. And when you think about it, that's what a king ought to do as well. Protect his people so that his people can live freely. And David embraces this shepherd and sheep dynamic completely. We read Psalm 23 to start off the service today. Doesn't that psalm speak to the longing that we all have? To have a shepherd that cares for you. To have a shepherd who provides for you green pastures that you can rest in doesn't that hit us all right where we live? It was meant to. We were not made to be gods. We were made to be sheep. David was not the only psalmist either. Listen to Asaph in Psalm 79. But we, your people, the sheep of your pastures, will give thanks to you forever. So there's a very real and a very biblical picture that we need to see for ourselves. We were made to be in a relationship that's very like the relationship a sheep has with its shepherds. We were made to be in this relationship. And when that relationship works, it's beautiful. When you have a shepherd who is strong, a shepherd who is gentle, a shepherd who is wise, a shepherd who is courageous. When you have that shepherd, then the sheep thrive. And it's good for the sheep. The sheep that sometimes need to be corrected. The sheep that need to be fed. The sheep that need to be led. From the beginning, we were not made to be entirely self reliant. And sometimes we don't like to hear that. But it's true. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God and they broke humanity's relationship with our Creator, they broke this beautiful relationship we were made to have with God, where God shepherded us. So Jesus didn't come up with this imagery. No, like like many other times in John, what is he doing? He didn't come up with it, but he's claiming it for himself. Saying this imagery is about him. So we're going we're to take chapter 10 in three sermons. Today we're just going to look at the, verse, the first six verses. We're going to read in verse 6 that the people Jesus was speaking to, they didn't understand. And so he's going to give a more in-depth analogy. He's going to change it up a little bit and go a little deeper. And we're going to look at that next week. But we're in a different situation than the people he was talking to. We're able to understand verses 1 through 6. And so we're going to take those first this week. Truly, truly, I say to you, They will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So let's take this in three parts today. First, Jesus is the only true shepherd. First, Jesus is the only true shepherd. Do you remember who Jesus is talking to here in John 10? If you glance up just a little ways, you'll see he's still talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to these men who had just denied who Jesus was. They just tried to ignore the miracle of the blind man seeing, and then they cast the blind man out because he was pointing out the obvious. He was pointing out the obvious, which was something that the Pharisees actually, they kind of wanted to ignore. They they did not want to look at the obvious, that no, this miracle happened, and this miracle says something about who Jesus is. And Jesus had just finished telling these Pharisees that because they claimed to see, because they claimed to have sight, because they claimed of their own to understand, that their guilt for their sins still remained. Now why does that matter? Why does that matter when we come into John 10 that he was talking to these Pharisees and he'd just been engaging and having this confrontation with the Pharisees? It matters because the Bible doesn't just have a beautiful tradition of God's people looking to God to be their shepherd. There's another darker reality to that tradition as well. When sin entered the world, it broke our relationship to the one true shepherd, but we still long to be shepherded. In different ways, everybody does. So what happened? People would take the place of God as shepherds. And since those people were also sinners, how do you think that turned out? It didn't turn out well. This is one of the reasons why there are so many false teachers, so many people, men and women, who prey on whole groups of people who are just looking for leaders. They're just looking for shepherds. They take advantage of that sometimes. You know, sometimes it's not, it's not even so much that leaders intentionally set out to be wolves in sheep's clothing. But what happens is over time they begin to be encouraged they be, by the reactions and responses of the sheep. And so they continue doing what the sheep applauded them for doing. And lead them all astray. So you have people who intentionally set out to take advantage of the sheep, and then you have people who just simply weren't fit to be shepherds. But they were put in that position and led the sheep astray. Here's a few examples from the Old Testament Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 1 through 4. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. By the way, you don't ever want the Lord to say that to you. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and I will bring them back to their fold and they shall be fruitful and multiply. In other words, then I shall be their shepherd again. And when Jesus becomes a shepherd, because that's who does this, what does it say? And they shall be fruitful and multiply. In other words, God will restore this relationship That he had. You can read more about that in Jeremiah 25 too, because Jeremiah is not done in Jeremiah 24. I won't read all of Jeremiah 25. I'll just tell you what it starts with. It starts with this: wail, you shepherds, and cry out, and roll in ashes, you lords of flocks. Again, not good. Not great for the bad shepherds here. Or there's Zechariah chapter 11, which is also about all the terrible shepherds. I won't read the whole thing there, but you could read later, Zechariah chapter 11, the whole chapter's about them. But here's verse 17. Woe to my worthless shepherds who desert the flocks. My worthless shepherds. Here's a good one from Isaiah chapter 56, verses 10 through 11. His watchmen are blind. They are all without knowledge. They are silent dogs. They cannot bark, dreaming, lying down, loving to slumber. The dogs have a mighty appetite. They never have enough, but they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each to his own gain, one and all. So the shepherds of Israel failing is its own tradition in the Old Testament. So when we look here in John chapter 10, do you see what John is showing us? Who are the shepherds in Jesus' day? Who are the shepherds of Israel? It's these Pharisees. It's these men, these leaders of the Jews. They are meant to be the shepherds of God's people. But look at what they have just done. They were willing to twist the truth. They were willing to ignore the truth. They were willing to cast a man out Over the truth. Why? All for their own good. All to protect themselves. What we're seeing here is a picture of the shepherds of Israel coming into personal contact, personal, physical, face to face contact with the shepherd of Israel. And how are they responding? They're protecting themselves, they're protecting what they have built up and what they have. What should they be doing? They should be giving it all over to the shepherds, shouldn't they? They should be handing it all over with joy, but isn't this so much the problem that we have? These Pharisees were acting like these were their sheep. That the people that they taught taught And led, they belonged to them somehow. They had collected them. They believed they had rights over them. Have you ever seen that before? Where a leader believes that he has some sort of ownership over the people that he leads and then he abuses that power? That's what the Pharisees did with the blind man, didn't they? They expected that they could simply control him and they could control his parents. They were able to control the parents, if you remember. And why could they control the parents? If you look up in verse 9, why could they control the parents? Because the parents were afraid of them. The parents were afraid of them. These shepherds of Israel were trying to control something that Jesus had done for their own benefit. They're using fear to control this man's parents, but they couldn't control him. So what do they do because they can't control him? They cast him out. They tried to control them as their own. They tried to use them as their own, and they couldn't. Have you ever noticed how once we get something, it can be really hard for us to let it go? We do this with tiny things. We do this with tiny and significant. If you you went into my office at my house, and you opened up the drawers to my desk, wouldn't I be embarrassed? Two, what you would see is a whole lot of junk. I've got like old pocket knives. I've got old keys that I have no idea what those keys go to. But who knows, I may need it someday. I've got, I've got, it's just, it's junk. I've got candy that my kids gave me like three Easter's ago and I don't know why I haven't just thrown it away because I know I'm not going to eat it. It's filled with junk, little things that I've picked up over the years. I know I'll probably never use them, but I can't bring myself to get rid of them. And then there's something weird that happens with that kind of junk. If somebody were to come along and they were to say, hey, you've got like seven pocket knives in that drawer. Can I have one? What am I going to be like? Oh, what? That's my pocket knife, man. Stay off my pocket knives. There's something about us. But once we get something, we can't let it go. I and mean, it's the same with power. It's the same with people. Leaders can do this as well. But here's the picture that Jesus gives only one person can come to the sheep gate and say, These are mine. Only one. So, so the picture here. The picture here is um, that there were these sheep, plen- these sheep pens in, in these towns where where the the flocks could be kept at, at, at night. So so that's the, the the picture. Some smaller ones might only have like one one pin, and you just you turned all the sheep in, and then what you would do is you, there would be a hired person who stood at the gate to to guard for the night, so that the shepherds you know could could get rest or whatever. Sometimes they'd have them broken up into several different sheep pins with one gate. Um, or whatever. And so you would, you would have the person who watches the gate. And, and then what would happen is when the shepherds would come, they could, they could, they could call in their sheep and they could, they could call them to, to, to come in. And a good shepherd would be able to, to do that. What's the point that Jesus is making? The point is that there's only one person who can come to this particular sheep gate. If the sheep gate means the way in which we as humans <laughs> are kept and say, these sheep are mine. And it's not any Pharisee. It's not any pastor. No, the picture is these Pharisees, what they're doing is they're jumping over the walls. They're sneaking in and they're stealing sheep for themselves away from the rightful owner. They're thieves. They're robbers. What they're doing is they're stealing what belongs rightfully to the shepherd. And isn't that exactly what we just saw with the blind man? they were trying to steal from Jesus they were trying to cover up this miracle they were trying to, to protect themselves that's what they were doing it can happen in churches it could happen here i mean i'm not i'm not Jesus i'm also this is the, this is the unique thing about where we live and how we live right now so we have three elders, me, Bob, and Lee. And, uh, and by God's grace, I, I think he's, he's, he's gifted us and um, we have been able to, to serve. We're not Jesus, though. We, we run the same risks that anybody who, sh- who shepherds under the shepherd runs. There's only one shepherd. We must be willing to give everything to him. Always. Always. I read a a book years ago, it was a book on pastoring, and and I read about, it was one of the keys to being successful, to staying uh, faithful and humble in the ministry. And there was a story that the author told, it was really short, it was years ago, I heard the story of an old preacher who told a group of younger preachers to remember that they would die. They are going to put you in a box, he said, and put the box in the ground, and throw dirt on your face, And then they're going to go back in the church and they're going to eat potato salad. That's what they're going to do. That says it perfectly. It's foolish of these Pharisees and it's foolish of any of us to hold on to things and to try and hold on to things that we can't hold on to. They don't belong to us and we can't keep them. There is only one who truly owns the sheep. Sheep, you are owned by this shepherd. The problem is, these Pharisees are not the shepherd. The leaders in Jeremiah were not the shepherd. The leaders in Isaiah were not the shepherd. The leaders in Zechariah were not the shepherd. We read Ezekiel 34 earlier. They were not the shepherd either. This is a real problem though. And as sheep, we need to be aware and keep our eye out for this problem. Don't make your pastor into the shepherd. Don't rely on your elders to be the shepherd. We're under shepherds. We're here to serve. We're here to care. We're here to minister. But let's not ever forget your shepherd, the one who is with you always, even until the end of the age, that's Jesus. The one you rely on in the darkest nights, that's Jesus. The one who will walk through every single valley with you ultimately is Jesus. As elders, sometimes we get the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to show he's there. And and that's a wonderful opportunity. That's what we strive to do, is be the hands and feet of Jesus for you. But we're not Jesus. If we were not there, Jesus would be there. He is the shepherd. Listen to Ezekiel 34, 23. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. Here's something beautiful about Jesus as the shepherd. He is coming to seek out his sheep. He is willing to give up himself to save them. Unlike the false shepherds, he will do what it takes to take care of the sheep. And he can. He did not count equality with God a thing to hold on to, but he humbled himself in order to save his sheep. He is the one true shepherd. He's the one who answers all the deepest longings that you have. he's able to come to the gate and call his sheep. Why? Because they're his sheep. He's not just the rightful shepherd here in John 10. He is the rightful shepherd from Jacob's day. When Moses asked God for a shepherd for his people, in the moment God pointed out Joshua, but he was ultimately pointing towards Jesus. When David, the shepherd king, said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want... This is how God was going to shepherd, by sending Jesus. That's what Jesus is doing here in John 10. He's saying, I'm here for this. I'm taking this responsibility upon my shoulders. I am coming to be the shepherd. What a beautiful picture that is. He was coming to be what we long for, Our leader, our protector, our shepherd. What a beautiful picture. What a right picture, too. But hang on to that thought for a second. That longing for a shepherd only has one home, Jesus. When you're longing for a shepherd to guide you, don't settle for anyone less than Jesus. This is why you need people around you. You need elders, yes, but you need Christians as well. You need brothers and sisters. We need a fellowship. We need a church that points one another to Jesus. We need a church because we are sheep, and sheep are dumb. I've, I've said this before. Right? I'm sorry to tell you, but there is a sense in which we're just we're dumb, and we're stubborn, and we get confused really easily. One of the things that it's really easy for us to do is forget who our shepherd is. It's amazing how quickly you and I can forget who our shepherd is. We can get so distracted so easily by something in our lives that we forget that Jesus is our shepherd and we start to wander off. What we need is we need need under shepherds. We need Christians as well. Other sheep to remind us, hey, whoa, we've got our shepherd. We rely on him. He is the only shepherd true shepherd that's why you need to be in God's word you need to be in God's word so that you can come straight to Jesus yourself I'm not meant to mediate between you and Jesus Jesus is meant to mediate between you and the father we come to the word to meet and to hear from our shepherd we come to church because our shepherd has said this is where you are fed We have under-shepherds because this is what our shepherd has said. This is how I will lead you. But we don't ever forget, ever. All those other things are aside, you have one shepherd. Second thing this morning, Jesus is the one true shepherd. Second thing, Jesus knows his sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. He calls them by name, says here. This is the biblical doctrine of election. God has chosen his sheep. He has looked out over them and he has named each and every one that he would call. And I want you to think about something here. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? To be called by God? It's a wonderful thing to be known. It's a wonderful thing that we can be known by our shepherd. But really, if you think about it for a second, part of me has to wonder, how is it a good thing to be known by that shepherd? He knows his sheep. Proverbs tells us that the hearts of men are open to the Lord. So when we say that Jesus knows his sheep, we don't just mean that he can look out over his flock and he can say, that one over there with the front spot on its leg, that's Ethel. That one over there with the, the super long nose, that's Reginald. No, it would be more like that one over there that one who habitually lies to his closest friends and family, that one who cheats on his taxes every year, that one who hates his family, that's Archie. That one over here that secretly thinks some of the worst thoughts that you could imagine, who is so incredibly jealous of his neighbor and what his neighbor has, that one who refuses to forgive his wife for something that happened 15 years ago, that's Dave. That's what it means to be known by God. That's what makes this all the more amazing, doesn't it? That he would look out and he would know sheep that way and not walk away from them. Not turn back and go, this is not a flock that I want. James Boyce says, have you ever noticed that all this is done on behalf of God's chosen ones even though God knows they are sinners and do not deserve it? Let's take a minute here and let's remember Christian. When Jesus stood at the gate and he called his sheep, he was calling people who did not deserve to be called. He was calling people who deserved to be sacrificed. We can't forget that title, one of the first titles we heard of Jesus. John the Baptist said it, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was a perfect spotless lamb. He's calling sheep who are black-hearted, rebellious, weak, broken, They're not going to stay that way, though. Not when the shepherd calls them by name and calls them out. When he calls you, he's not intending for you to stay the way that you are. When he calls you, he's not intending for you to stay in that broken, sinful, rebellious way. No, you have a shepherd now. That changes everything about who you are, sheep. You have a shepherd now. And that shepherd has no intention of leaving you broken and crippled of leaving you stubborn and rebellious. He has every intention to change who you are. What kind of power does Jesus have to call His sheep? What kind of power does He have to do this? To look and to go, You are now mine. Come and follow me. Well, if you read in the other Gospels, you, you see a picture of this, don't you? As he goes along, he's calling sheep as he goes. He calls Peter, he calls John, he calls Nathaniel, he calls Matthew, he calls Philip. He finds his sheep and he goes, come, follow me, you're mine now. But when you think of the power that Jesus has to do this, I would suggest we need to glance ahead to John chapter 11. Because there, Jesus comes to a tomb. And there he comes to a man named Lazarus. And do you know what the deal is with Lazarus? He's in a tomb. He's dead. What kind of power does Jesus have, however? Well, we see a glimpse of it when Jesus stands at the tomb and says, Lazarus, come out. We see a glimpse of this picture of a shepherd calling his sheep, and that sheep can do nothing but obey. And nothing will stop that sheep from obeying. He's dead. But did you know that being dead does not stop you when Christ calls that's the power we're talking about here that this shepherd has. That's a glimpse, and it's a, it's a perfectly appropriate glim, a glimpse. This is one thing that we've been teasing around for a while. In a very real sense, is Jesus not calling dead people when he calls his sheep? He's calling people who are spiritually dead. They are dead in their trespasses and sins. He is calling dead people every time he calls one of his sheep to come out of the sheep pen and to follow him. We're going to look at that more in the coming weeks. But you must see that Jesus knows his sheep. And when I say he knows his sheep, I mean he knows every single thing about them. And yet he calls them anyway. And when he calls them, he has the power to change them. He has the power, the authority, the right to say, you are my sheep now. When he calls them out, he doesn't just call them. What does he do next? When he brings them all out, he goes before them. He leads and they follow him because when he calls you, he doesn't just know you. Now you know him. You might not know him as well yet as you will come to know him, but you know him. You know him enough to follow him. And the picture here that he gives is that he leads. He walks the path in front of us, and we walk the path behind him. He sets the course for us. Christian, are you trying to walk ahead of Jesus? Are, are you trying to shoulder Jesus out of the way and be the one who directs him? Are you fighting against the path that he has laid? Because even now, that's what he's done. He's laid a path for his sheep to follow him. He's laid a path of faithfulness. He's laid a path that walks in the light, in the truth. And more than just giving us the path to walk on, what has he also done? He has also set the example for you and I on how we walk in the path, hasn't he? He set the example for us for how we will suffer. Not just the ways that we'll suffer, but I'm talking about how. How will you respond? What will you do? Where will your heart go? Jesus has set that for us. Whose will runs your life? Well, whose will ran his? He has given us a path to follow even now. Christian, are you walking in the path that Jesus has set in front of you, a path of faithfulness, a path of service, a path of love and compassion, a a path of truth, a path that walks in the body of Christ? not alone. He has called you and He has walked in front of you. And He is still walking in front of you. He is still leading you. He has a place for you to go. We all need to be reminded that Jesus has given us plenty of signs to follow on this path. Even now. I was reading this week, I was reading Pilgrim's Progress with some of my kids the other day. been a while since I'd read it, and I was reminded, that's a great book. Your homework this week is to go read Pilgrim's Progress again. That's a phenomenal book. One of the reasons it's a phenomenal book is it gives us this picture beautifully. What does it look like to walk a path that is headed toward the celestial city? Where God reigns. What does it look like to walk that path now, today, this week, in our lives? Because your shepherd, Christian, he's called you. And he is leading you. Be led. Be led. If we need to repent of our hard-hearted stubbornness, if we need to repent of acting like goats instead of sheep, then let's repent. And let's come back to the shepherd. Here's a beautiful thing about our shepherd as well. He knows you. You might think you you have just finally done it and you have gone too far. Christian, you have not. Your shepherd knows you. He knew you when he called you. Go to him. Go to him. The safest place... a sheep to be is next to his shepherd don't try and hide from him he knew you when he called you and yes he's calling you to change yes he's calling you to put off the old man and put on the new yes he's given you his righteousness but when you stumble and fall that is not the time to run and hide from your shepherd that's the time to come back to him he knows you Last thing this morning. Jesus is the one true shepherd. He knows his sheep. But third and finally, his sheep know his voice. His sheep know his voice. What is it to hear the voice of the shepherd, the way that Jesus talks about here? What does that mean? How do you know if you're hearing Jesus calling to you from the gate to come out and follow him? I really liked how James Boyce described what it meant to hear the voice of Jesus. I actually put this quote in the bulletin, so it's it's there on uh, on the sermon page. I thought this was very helpful. He said, it is above all arriving at the conviction that what the Bible says regarding your need and the love of the Lord Jesus in answer to that need is true and that you should respond to it. It is above all arriving at the conviction that what the Bible says regarding your need and the love of the Lord Jesus in answer to that need is true and that you should respond to it. So, how how do we hear the voice of Jesus today 2000 years after he lived we hear it in the word John is going to tell us this is the reason why he wrote his gospel so that we might know who Jesus is. We hear Him. And so what James Boyce says is that hearing Him in this way is arriving at the conviction, realizing, we might say, having blind eyes opened to see clearly that what the Bible says regarding your need is true. You are a sinner who is separated from God who will be judged by Him. What the Bible says about your need is true, and what the Bible says about the love of Jesus in answer to that need is also true. Have you been sensing that, James Boyce says? Have you been saying, yes, what I am hearing is true. I have been waiting all my life for this. This is that for which I have been made. If you have... Do not make the mistake of being slow to answer Christ's call. Respond immediately as Zacchaeus did and many millions of others have done and follow Jesus. He is the great shepherd. Those who follow him do not want for any good thing. I love what he says there. This is that for which I have been made. That's what hearing Jesus is like seeing and knowing who you are because you see and know who he is. You know that he is the Son of God. You know that he is the judge. You know that he is the perfectly righteous one. You also know that he is the shepherd who came to seek and save that which are lost. He is the shepherd who came to call his sheep by name. He's the shepherd who came to give righteousness, spotless perfect righteousness to sheep who were filthy in sin. That's who Jesus is. He's the Creator. He's the King. So to go back to the beginning of this sermon, we all have a deep longing to be shepherded. We look for shepherds. You cannot find a shepherd who can be what Jesus is. It is only Jesus. We all have a deep longing to be shepherded. Even when we rebel against that longing, even when we rebel against being shepherded, so often what I have seen, people who rebel against being shepherded, they often hate their own stubbornness. They often know that they are the ones who are making their lives more difficult. The greatest problem most people have is that they cannot get out of their own way. And they can't. On their own, there's no way you can get out of your own way. You'll carry around your stubborn, sinful heart with you everywhere you go. No, the only hope is to have a shepherd who breaks through, who calls you, puts you in his flock and says, follow me. We have a longing to be led. We have a longing to be cared for. We have a longing to be provided for. Do not miss what that longing points to. That longing intentionally points to how God made you, and it points to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that even as you made us to be in a relationship with you, to be led by you, that even when Adam and Eve broke that relationship and tried to hide from you, even, Lord, when that relationship was was broken and destroyed, you did not leave your sheep. We thank you for this picture here. of of Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament imagery of a shepherd. Lord, we need to be shepherded. Lord, we need our hearts corrected and guided. Lord, we need to see you each and every day. Father, help us as sheep to open up our eyes. Lord, if we have heard the call of Christ, if we're looking to him as our shepherd, Lord, this week may we follow Him in every way. Instead of trusting our own sheep's heart, we would trust His and follow Him. Lord, I pray that we would seek to know Him better. I pray that, Lord, as as we've been talking about who is Jesus in John, we've seen He's everything. And Lord, we add this week one more layer to that. He's everything because He's our shepherd. And He knows us. He knew, Jesus, I, I... I can't imagine how it is that you could look at us, see who we truly are, and then love us and call us. We do not deserve you, but we are so thankful. You truly are the King of love. May we worship you that way this week. Amen.